We're doing another episode of Ad Creative. Incredible guest today, Leo Pinchevsky. He is the CEO and co-founder of Final Loop. We were put together by Ron of Obvi fame. He said, you guys should talk. The rest is history. This is actually our first time meeting. Leo, would you explain what Final Loop does before we dig into all of the other things about you and what you've learned over the last few years doing this business? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Really excited. So basically what we, what we help DTC founders with is automating the entire bookkeeping process. Currently, founders need to take many different steps in order to get mm. the books accurate. And then yeah. usually the books would be delayed, very error prone, and it's a, it's a very manual work that yeah. usually doesn't have a lot of benefits and a lot of data points that can actually help you make decisions. Basically, we are replacing the accounting software, the yeah. bookkeeper, and any e-commerce integration that you need, and providing you with the entire bookkeeping process that you need to have real-time data, real-time books, and available insights and, and solid data to make business decisions. Yeah, I feel like this is something early stage. When you're early stage, like sub 5 million, you're not thinking about it. You're just trying to get to 5 million and you're not even paying attention to the cash. Like, all right, I just got to spend on ads. I got to get my inventory. And then as you scale, you start thinking, okay, I really, the old uh, Andrew Carnegie, like manage your costs, gentlemen, and people like Sam Walton and, uh, and Jeff Bezos have taken this forward. So it's a really, really important thing you're doing. What's the, I'm going to get into kind of your history and everything, but I'm curious and diving right in. What's the first thing people, the response that people have when they plug in and see the information? Is it an, oh my God moment because they didn't know that some of this stuff was happening? Or is it a magic moment also of, wow, now I have the power at my fingertips? Or is it maybe a mixture of both? Yeah, I think the first reaction is, is okay, this is magic. We even got the response like, this is heaven or what? Uh, I think the the first, I'd say, 15 minutes within the platform, are the most, most exciting ones, because yeah. usually the process that you are used to is getting with somebody on the phone, getting an engagement letter, and then starting to send stuff around until you get the books at some point in the future. You onboard to Final Loop. After 15 minutes, you see everything starts to gradually get populated, and then Within 30 minutes to a couple of hours, you have full financials. This is something that people are not used to. So the first reaction is, wow, this is magic. And then immediately the founders are like, okay, I need this feature and I need this feature, that feature, that feature. So yeah. it's like from magic to, okay, give me more. I need more. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. want more, which is nice. Yeah, that's uh, from magic to, uh, we have upsell options. Please expand your account. <laughs> no, that's real. That's great. That's great. This is the activation moment that all SaaS founders, operators dream of, right? This is magic. This is literally, it's called the magic moment. You literally have it and people are commenting on it. So I think that's great. It's a great primer. So I want to go back and maybe give people a little bit of history on you because I think it's reading it just on your LinkedIn and seeing some of the things you posted gave me a sense of it makes sense how you actually got here but i'm gonna i'm gonna go and read down your cv lieutenant in the israeli army law school at michigan uh, tax lawyer also educator as well which is really cool and then you became you worked in in tax law at uh, at uh, you were a partner see yeah i have it right here you were a partner at pwc and then you moved to final loop and uh, i'm curious it feels like there's a common thread here of helping people understand what they need to do to run their businesses more effectively, obviously starting in law, but then moving more into the like direct financials. Do you see a common thread in those things or does it feel like it been, and this is just the end result of that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think my main driver was just helping people. Like I, I, you know, I was uh, teaching for years in law school and in business school, and I just like helping people understand things. This is one driver. I know that a lot of founders, especially those who are very marketing oriented, 
need that's extra help in really understanding the financials and like understanding the bottom line in yeah. addition to more the sales and the marketing stuff. Yeah. So this is this was one driver. I think second driver was I was in corporate enterprise most of my life. As a partner at PwC, I was I was working with companies like Facebook and Google and also in the pharmaceutical industry, companies like Merck and Pfizer. And then out of personal pain, uh, I started as a side hustle, a DTC brand that, that really tried to cope with some hurdles my wife and I had when trying to conceive for the first time. So basically, it's, it's a very nice concept combining both product and a service. So we basically yeah. help people have sperm from home yeah. instead of going to a sperm bank. Yeah. So reducing all the hassle and the inconvenience yeah. related to fertility preservation. Yeah. So I had the accounting background. I had the tax background, not exactly for small businesses, but more enterprise kind of tax planning. And, and then I had, and I still have this brand that helped me get into the consumer world. Then over time, I figured out that I just like it more. Yeah. I like working with the consumer more than I like to work in corporate. And then as a DTC founder, I said, oh my God, I need to do my financials. I need to find my taxes. I need to understand my business. Like I understand high level how my business behaves. Yeah. If you ask me how much I did last week or even last month, I won't give you the number. I think yeah. I know it, but I know it approximately and I don't want to know things approximately. I want to know them, be able to make decisions. I went to get help and I moved from one accountant to another accountant and I spoke with them and I just understood that they don't understand or not necessarily understand my word, my yeah. the terminology, how an e-commerce business really operates mm. in the different angles of it. And I say, wow, there's like a huge opportunity. The, the, that, the data is there. We need to pull it, reconcile it, and then we can give the solid data instead of working manually with uh, in, in manual yeah. human work. So then everything like come together, right? My taxes, my accounting background, my love of working with the consumers and uh, with small businesses. And I just, I just took the step and I said, okay, I have a great job. Back in the day I had, I was a partner, I had my DTC brand and I said, okay, I, this is something that I have to do. It's a real opportunity to build something yeah. from scratch that can help many other founders. Yeah. So that, that's how Final Loop was born, basically. Oh, it's beautiful. So it's interesting because one thing you're taught when you're going to do your MVP of your product, right? You have your idea and you say, I'm going to change the world. And you can go look at all of the, the data and say, oh, the TAM is this big. And these, there are only these companies doing it and no one is doing it. Like a lot of things come down to market validation as well. So you have, you're an N of one. I'm having this issue. I'm talking to these tax accountants. Did you also have a community of founders around you? that you were speaking to about this kind of stuff and saying, is this a challenge that you're having? Or did you go start seeking that information out? Because this is something like I'm very passionate about on the SaaS side, but also on the consumer side is actually speaking to your customers. Also, you can review the qualitative data that they've shared with you as well. A lot of ways to do that. But what was your kind of methodology with also validating this before you started putting some engineering behind, uh, behind this idea? Yeah. I just spoke with many founders. I tried at the beginning to, to send some surveys on Reddit and forum and things like that. And there was a very little interest. People didn't answer. I got here a response yeah. here, a response there. And then I said, just start calling people. So I started just direct calling people and people who yeah. were very generous in sharing information and sharing their pains and also through different connections. I think before. We put pen to paper. I spoke with, I'd say, 200 founders, wow. which is a lot. It's, yeah. it's a lot, especially since I had my, my own brand and I was very concerned and biased towards mm -hmm. my own problems. And yeah. it's not necessarily everybody's problems. Yeah. Also, back in the day, I was like, my tech stack was WooCommerce and then some other payment processors. And I thought that maybe this is a unique tech stack and maybe some other brands on Shopify and some other mm -hmm. platforms 
have better data and the pain is maybe not that severe. I did a lot in validating it. Also from a selfish perspective, I took a big leap in, in quitting my job, sending my, the day-to-day -day management of my brand to somebody else. For me, it was a big, big step. I wanted to know that I'm up to the right challenge. Yeah. No, I think that's like, I'm very, it's very positive in my mind that you did that. And I think I'm curious, what were some of the things that you were coming across? Was this kind of a, everyone was shaking the table asking you this? Because there's a lot of things that are nice. No one should ever build a product that's nice or that's cool. If someone says, hey, your product is cool, get out of that business. They should say, your product can change my life. And that's when you know that you can, you have something that's really special. A lot of times there are some things you're innovating, right? And maybe people don't see it as well. I mean, I've been in AI for three years now, and it's just today that people say, wow, this is an incredible technology. I've been yeah. banging the table for three years saying you should be using this to expedite outcomes. And now there's a chat GPT is like, they've been doing this for years. OpenAI has open sourced this thing. You can use it. And so I'm curious when, during that validation process, because I think, again, founders should really be thinking about this before they, sometimes you just jump, right? Let me not say that you shouldn't just take the leap and jump, but what you're saying is also really important, which is I had a job, I had a brand. I didn't need to do this necessarily, but the overwhelming need of the market almost made it so that I had to do this. So I'm curious, some of the, maybe some of the conversations you had with them that led you to say, it's on, I have to do this. Yeah, it's a very good question. So actually it's, it's very interested, interesting because nobody really gets exciting about accounting, right? It's not one of the things that you say, okay, yeah. I, I, it's the new iPhone. I have to get it, right? It's, it's not an iPhone and it's not, and it's not a Tesla, just accounting. I think in general, people don't get crazy about accounting. Also, if you think about it, it's today, it's mostly a burden to people because yeah. if it's delayed and you cannot actually make a decision or insights out of it, then it's something that you just need to do. Yeah. So I didn't, I just to be honest, I didn't get any excitement ever yeah. when speaking with people. Yeah. I did try to understand if this is something that they need, if, if, even not necessarily something that they want, but whether this is something that they need. Yeah. And most of the reactions actually were not like extremely conclusive. Yeah. Uh, I usually got this, got this reaction. I have this bookkeeper. They're great, but they don't necessarily understand e-commerce, but they're fine. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm okay. I like working with them, but they yeah. don't necessarily understand my business and my cogs is usually off. And sometimes I have mistakes and I get the books every once in three months. It's the closing process is a bit hard, but I have this process and I'm okay. So these are the types of the reactions that they got. It was yeah. never like, I have to get it today. I think today. When people see the platform and I see people go and recommend to other brands and other mm -hmm. friends, I think now we are at the point where people say you have to get it, yeah. but it's not the type of reactions that we got at the beginning. And I needed, I had this burden of really understanding whether they really need it or not. And I felt that there is a, there, there's a significant need for it. Yeah. Also. I think it's a common challenge that every category creation company would have because when we create a category and we do create a category, we almost have no competition at the moment. When you create a category, people don't think about this the way you think about this. So it's something that you need to lead by asking different questions or touching other aspects, if it makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So you said a few things. I think one of the things I want people to take away, which is really important here, is synthesizing two things. And we'll dig into a little bit of this because I've done category creation. So I really understand, I understand this very deeply, is what someone wants and what someone needs are two different things. And most people know what they want, but don't actually know what they need. And so what Leo is saying here that I think is like super impactful is Everyone needed it. No one wanted it because accounting isn't sexy. 
And three years ago, money was cheap. Facebook ads were humming. No one really, everyone's like, oh, it's just, this is a, like, this is a piggy bank. We're just going to keep flowing money in it, it, like back up the Brinks truck. And so it wasn't so much about controlling your costs as much as it was about just dumping fuel on the fire, right? So it, it was a different world in which you were starting to think about building this company. Say you've been doing this for three and a half, four years now, like 2000, what, 2019, the golden days right? Of D2C, all of this money flowing, venture capital flowing, etc. Today, everyone is very dialed on their costs and how everything is built. And you see just as much stuff on Twitter about how to manage your finances and how to have cash turnover going properly and all of these things that have always been important to a business and the best businesses focus on. Now it's very prevalent. And so I think Sometimes you want to get ahead of the market and you just got to build and create your category and the market will come to you because I heard someone say the other day, I was talking to someone about the economy. They said, look, economists don't look at like the economy is up, the economy is down. It's just a cycle, right? So they're going to cycle up and cycle down. You just, sometimes people hit and they're, when they, they have the right product at the right time, when the time hits and all of the founders and people who have been a part of this are going to benefit and that will have a long tail impact on a final loop because they're going to be thinking about it. It's the same thing as 2008, that downturn that people experienced. If you were in yeah. the market at that time, you think about that stuff regularly. People who were college students don't think about it as much, but people who graduated at that time or were looking for jobs, it's still very impactful to them. So you'll see the people say post 2011, 12 are much easier at switching jobs than people before are much more loyal to companies because they experienced a couple of years of struggle trying to find jobs. So I think it's a really important one is what they need versus what they actually want are two different things. And you've got to build the product you're going to build and the market will catch up to you if you do the right things. And so you obviously have done those right things. And accounting is sexy now. It is definitely <laughs> sexy now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's, it's probably a very... I wouldn't say great because many businesses are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's an important year. Yes. For us as a startup to introduce the platform because Yeah. As you just said, last year was all about increasing sales, increasing traction, growing all costs. This is no longer the case. I'm as a you know, finance data person for my brand, I always had my spreadsheets. I always had, yeah. I, I knew the bits and bytes and every single line in my PNL. It wasn't like that for some of the brands last mm. year. It has to be a top priority for all of the brands this year. Yeah. And I still, still see crazy things that basically breaks my heart yeah. as a finance person. I see, I see brands and great brands taking loans at 85% interest, right? Oh, my God. APR. Oh, my now, God. I tweeted a few days ago about, you know, why people take loans at 85% interest. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. So one of my team members came in and say, okay, just to let you know that they got an alert two days ago that there is one brand that is paying 299% interest. And... You're is it, right. They get a loan from a loan shark? Is that from a loan shark? So uh, this is for, I'd say, you have different platforms that you can get loans and then yes. you have offline platforms that are, it's not the names that all of us know, but yeah. they're still uh, injecting money into brands yeah. and it just doesn't make sense. Now, the game is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an interest rate, but then I'll take some of the fee up front and then I will take a piece of your payouts. And then if you calculate the effective rate, which is the real number that you need to yeah. look at, you get to crazy numbers, crazy numbers yeah. that don't make any sense. And yeah. you can spend days and weeks and months optimizing your marketing budget and make sure that you get, you switch budget from one platform to another platform and get things attributed correctly. Yeah. But no matter how well you do on that side, on that front, when you take all the rest, all your expenses and the interest expenses, you're just going to lose money. So I think this is something that this year people 
has to be extra mindful for yeah. because just raising money becomes a real challenge until the markets get more stable. So one thing you just mentioned, and I want to just, it's like our glossary of terms. So you said effective rate. If someone doesn't understand what that is, what does that mean? So that when they're going into possibly wanting to take a loan out to fund some of their spend or whatever, or their inventory, what would that mean exactly for them? The effective rate basically means that you have two rates to look at. One rate is what's written in the contract. So you get a hundred, a hundred for 10%. But then the way you repay the loan would impact the effective tax rate. So mm. if, for example, you take a loan for a hundred, but then you pay a fee of 20 upfront, this significantly increase your effective tax rate because essentially uh, you got a loan of 80, you need to repay 100 plus interest. So the, the effective rate is much higher than the contract says. Wow. And I really recommend founders before taking any external money to be very mindful to not take the interest rate as written in the contract as granted for granted. And just calculate the real interest that they're paying in the transaction. Yeah. This can be a make or break. This can, this kills companies. Literally. Yeah. So this is just one, one example out of many different, let's say, trends that we saw in 2022, which are no, no longer valid in 2023. Yeah. In 2023, we see people really caring about every penny they yeah. got out of pocket. So two questions, follow-ups. One is a, I don't know, not a negative, but more of a just how do you operate in this one? And the second one is a more positive one. How do you say you have that notification come and you're like, oh my God, what if they don't understand this? I need to say something. Forget business. As a human being, you need to say something. How do you broach that? Because like founders, you're doing it right now. You have so many things on your plate and the whole weight of the business is on you, right? It's, I got to deal with every single thing. Obviously, you hope you have great operators within that can help you run the business and run their verticals really effectively. But you still have to go back and say, you're going to kill yourself with this thing. We, you need to find a way out. What's your methodology or what's been your guys, the Final Loop team's methodology in attacking those hard problems that aren't even technology problems? They're just human issues. Like, how have you dealt with that? That, that's a, a fantastic question, and this is something that we're dealing with every day. So it's a really great question. The technology company, we would we have our roadmap. We know the things that we're going to do next. And just to be honest, insights is something that we haven't gotten to. This is something that we plan, but in order to have insights, we need to finish some other parts of the, pro the product that is being built. For example, yeah. IMS system within Final Loop and some other parts. And then insights is something that we're planning. So we have the data science people having up different alerts. And then the question is, we don't have it as part of the product, but, right, we saw that the brand took a loan for 299% interest. Yeah. What do we do next? There's nothing in the app that would let you consume this insight. Uh, yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna help you with it in a year, but what do we do now? So this is a real time case. In, the, in this specific case, when we see something that, that, that is off, we always notify the customers. The brands are, you know, really appreciate that because it could be something operational. It could be yeah. tax deduction that they didn't take. So just a week ago, even though this part is still not automated in the system in terms of the insight, we saw that there was a loan and no interest was taken last year as a deduction, as a tax deduction. So. We went to the brand and say, hey, you have $30,000 of interest that you didn't deduct last year. Maybe you want to amend your tax return. So this is some, these yeah. are the things that we currently do offline yeah. just, to, just to help our consumers and help our brands. But this is something that we would need, need to also build as part of the product, yeah. which would be the next phase of final loop. The next phase of final loop would be not only to give you the data in real time, but actually tell you what you can do with the data. Yeah. Uh, which for now, you need a lot of people to help you and you not necessarily understand the bits and bytes of what you Absolutely. Do. 
But I think a couple of things you said there are really important to, to synthesize because I talk about this a lot with people, whether it's on this show or otherwise, is that there are a lot of data points float, floating around in every single platform in the planet, right? Because you're plugging into some sort of data source to help you in one way or another. If we plug into Meta and TikTok, we pull data that feeds our algorithm, but then we also send things across the API and kind of virtuous cycle. But there are human experiences going on behind those data points. And there's customer experience that we're not privy to because they're living their lives and running their businesses and they spend 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes in our platform daily, weekly, whatever the cadence is. What you just said is customer experience, right? We went, we saw a data point. It's not in the SLA that you have to send them this information. It is not part of the product yet that you have to send them this information. But on a purely practical level, and I'm going to sound like a mercenary at this moment, driving word of mouth, retention, expansion is not just about your product. It is about the experience that they have with your product. Because if you have a working product, there is an end result. You get from A to B and that's it. So what is happening in between or after they hit those marks? And something that your team has done a couple of times, you're mentioning here, I'm sure it's dozens, hundreds of times is saying, hey, look, we have this insight that you don't have. Here's what you can do with it. Like, we want to make sure you know this. I can't imagine as a founder, someone coming saying, hey, you got $30,000 you can go do something with. My mind would be blown, right? Oh my God, yeah. I love these people. Let me go tell everyone to use this. Hey, you have this loan. It's not looking good. You should do something about it. And I'm sure there are service providers you can help them with. There are people you know in the marketplace that can help them do stuff with you. Say, hey, we have these people that you can help them with. They can help you with this. These kind of things are not small and they have much bigger impacts both on a person's day-to-day -day life and also the life of a business that don't show up when you're doing your forecasting for how you're going to grow the business that actually impact the growth of the business. And so these are the gray areas of growth and company building that I don't think any of us really talk about. It's just more, we're humans, we're going to help each other, hopefully. And so I think it's a really beautiful thing that you guys are doing. It's also a very smart growth tactic, to be completely honest with you. I know that's not why you're doing it, but just as a growth person, I will tell you, those kind of things have just the amplifying multiples long-term. So it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's priceless in terms of the reaction that we get. But it's also very, very honest in the sense that yeah. these insights are coming from the product team, right? The product yeah. team doesn't have a KPI of bringing more customers or, yeah. or increased retention, right? They actually work on the data and they see something that is off or something that can help our customers. They go to the CS team or to the marketing team and say, hey, we saw this for this customer. Maybe you want to tell them that this is the case, right? Yeah. Drive is actually a drive to help people. And yeah. it has a great growth and marketing impact, but yeah. I think it comes from an inner desire to push people forward in the space, which is, I really like to say that the, that the culture that we have uh, encourage people that to help regardless of their immediate KPIs. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's incredible. And I guess I have a couple of questions regarding how you've built the business and your thoughts on that. And then we can dive into some more kind of fun stuff. Although this has been really fun and informative for me. So you were just talking about the product team and your structure. Like, how do you, because like you said, you come from a finance and, and law background. How do you look at like building a product and building an experience, right? Because your, probably your first foray into this specifically was building your D2C brand. And I'm sure you had a lot of ups and downs with learning there. How did you take all of those learnings and build your methodology here? Or was it something you learned from a lot of great operators that you worked with subsequently as you were building this, as you were building Finaloo? Yeah. So I think that there are two, two things that, that I really want to mention here. First thing is the experience of being a DTC founder is priceless if you follow if you follow and become a SaaS founder and specifically the 
most e-commerce brands would would start without any funding, right? Even if you get funding yeah. afterwards, you start with no funding. So you learn to do many things with no budget. Yeah. Um, I, I personally run ads campaign. I run Google. I run Facebook. And even today, the team is like more than 40 people. I still run the campaigns. Yeah. I still create the landing pages. Like people yeah. cannot take it off my hands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are things like you learn to do, to be super hands-on, to work with the limited resources. And as a SaaS founder, usually to develop a SaaS product, you have to raise funds usually because yeah. there's some exceptions that, that we all know, which are very unique, but most product is very complex. So yeah. there's absolutely no chance I would be able to bootstrap final loop still i think the mentality of bootstrapping a brand uh, and doing things hands-on and knowing how hard is to spend 100 bucks because you're limited in the budget tremendously help you when you build a larger team because you did things where you're with your own hand you are respectful for every mm. penny that you spend and you need to, you know how to allocate the money that you get in a smart way and not necessarily just throw it out on, on, on different angles. So I think this is, this is one thing I was so passionate about this point that I, I forgot my, <laughs> my second point. Yeah. So I, I think this was, this is really a helpful experience for me as yeah. the first time SaaS founder. Yeah. Uh, second point, we have a constant challenge. And this is what you, uh, what you mentioned in your mm. question of bridging finance people with tech people. Yeah. Now, at the beginning, we thought, okay, how are we going to deal with it? Let's bring, let's do the following structure. We're going to have engineers and then we're going to have product managers with no finance background with like SaaS product management capabilities. And then we're going to have bookkeepers that would do the work, they're going to sit with the product person, the product person would communicate the different aspects to the, mm. to the dev, and then the dev will write the code and that's how we're going to develop the product. It was, it was a complete 100% failure. It didn't work. No, seriously, it didn't work for... I can't, I can't describe how much time, effort, and, yes. and money we spent on, on, on this structure. We figured out that since we are very domain-driven startup, accounting and taxes, deep, people learn that for a couple of years, practice it. It doesn't make sense to have kind of a middleman. Yeah. So we basically cut the middleman. We, we brought in the best engineers that we could. We have some of the best engineers in Israel in this company. Yeah. Uh, and what's special about our engineers that they understand the product and the business. They're working based mm -hmm. on business goals and not yeah. based on development goals. Mm -hmm. Every person in the team understand what they build, why they build it, and how it's going to help the customers. That's great. So then we put in one room the engineers and the finance people, same thing, smartest that I could get. I made a list of the 10 smartest finance people that I want in this company and I chest them one by one. And then you put these people together, the engineer that is both product and business oriented with the finance person. And then the interaction creates amazing things. Yeah. So this is how we tackle this challenge. I think on the cultural side, it's pretty challenging. It's still challenging because you take people from two different words, literally, from almost every single perspective. Yeah. And now they work together. So you see interactions and beautiful interactions, and you just want to improve to transform more challenging interactions into beautiful inter interactions. But this is something that is very different in our culture compared to, I would say, a typical SaaS. It's very yeah. domain-driven and very yeah. different groups in mentality. Yeah, I think this is the big one when you go to any of these SaaS companies. It's uh, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. It's I don't, I very rarely have heard of 
a SaaS company starting, especially when they're tackling something, domain creation SaaS companies, where they're building and the first iteration is just... A disaster is hyper, as a bit of hyperbole, but it is not what you expected, right? It's you want to paint a you want to paint a Da Vinci, and you have a third grade drawing version of of the Mona Lisa. You say, okay, we got to do something about this, and it really, like you said, it comes down to the problem. We know it's the people that we need to get right, and I think what you're what you said was really interesting, which is, okay, we know this isn't the solve. I know that people and getting the right people is the solve here because we know that this is just an inputs equal outputs kind of situation. So we just need to solve that. One thing I think people don't, maybe I don't say don't realize, but that kind of dissonance that you're talking about, I think is really important actually because they challenge each other in a really meaningful way. Each be better or translate their information better. But every division and even people in the division speak different languages, right? I'm not even talking about cultural languages. Forget that. Just engineers have a different kind of way that they interact with the world than finance people, than marketing people, than sales people. Like every single person has a different thing. You could talk to a growth marketing person and say, hey, you need to go do a sales call. They want to die. They're like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> a salesperson, you say, hey, go get in the spreadsheet. There are people who bridge. And those are the people generally who are either controlling stuff or who has really strong risers. But then you have just the people who are core and incredible at their job. And so I think it's great to have that, that kind of, those kind of people challenging each other, asking questions. Great companies are built that way. And it's a really important thing you just, uh, you just mentioned. So my last question before we do some fun stuff is if you could go back three years, and tell yourself something or like two to three things from what you know now, starting out. You gave me one already, so we can maybe just do two. You said I would hire the best people in their given, their given fields and put them together to have those conversations. What other maybe two things would you tell yourself that you think would be able to accelerate your ability to deliver value to the market faster? So... I think in general, it's not necessarily help delivering faster, but I think yeah. it's helps building more sustainable team and sustainable mm. businesses, patients. It's when I started, I was, by the way, both in my DTC brand and in Finaloop, I thought I would run much faster than we actually did. I said, okay, we have this, uh, we have these products. We need to sell them. Now everybody is going to want them. And I read in Twitter how people are making $3 million in one year. Yeah. And then the next year it's 70. So it must be going really fast. And then I see other SaaS companies that after two years, they're, they're raising for $1 billion. So yeah. let's rock. But yeah, the reality is every business has different trajectory. And yeah. I think constantly communicating that sometimes it's going fast. Sometimes it will take more time. Sometimes yeah. you have to give it more time. For example, in Final Loop, we're building a quite complex product because there's no 80% bookkeeping, right? Either we provide the books or we don't provide the books. So we have to have certain pieces really working well before we have even an MVP. So understanding that it's okay if it takes another year. Also, in my DTC brand, at the beginning, it was very difficult. It didn't pick up so nicely as I would expect. Then after two years, another company in the space raised funds, educated the market. I got a lot of traction. The business went better. Yeah. Uh, but I think patience is something that it's something that you need to teach yourself and then also communicate it to the team, communicate it to the team members so they yeah. understand we are here for the marathon and not from the sprint. Yeah. And we want to build a, a large company, large successful company that will help a lot of people. And it's okay if it's rocking after rocketing after one year or two years or three years or five years because we're building value over time and not overnight value. And this is something that I constantly tell to my, tell myself yeah. and then to, uh, to my team members. And then I would say the third thing, which again, this is something that is very important for me. I know it's, it's, it may not 
be the uh, I'd say the best practice or yeah or something that everybody will do. But I really believe in hands-on culture. So the way we build find a loop is no management. So we don't have managers. We don't have the teams don't have team leaders. We try to recruit the best people that we can, and then we just let them fly and let them do what they do best. We do create standards. So we say, okay, this is the standard that we're expecting. Yeah. But we don't try to minimize management capacities within the startup, knowing that every second we build mm. is a second that we're delivering value. And every second that we are manage the, I would say, unmanageable, right? Because you want to hire the people that don't need, don't need tight management or even the unmanageable, the the smart person that would not listen to you. Yeah. So find another thing. So you want this type of people and then have these people really build all the time and do things hands-on. I think this is, this is a real boost to any startup, any DTC brand. This is super important in my opinion. Yeah, those two things you said. So there's a quote from a basketball coach named John Wood, and he says, be quick, but don't hurry. So you're always trying to ship as fast as possible, but you don't hurry through it. You make sure it's the best possible thing that it can be. So it's quality. And I think that's really important. You're telling me right now, and it's making me reevaluate how I think about things and being patient when things, and every time you're patient, it's like SEO. This stuff just builds over time. And then after a while, you're like, wow, that is a crazy amount of traffic we're getting from the stuff that we have done. Same thing, brand, all of these things. The second thing you mentioned is there is an infrastructure tax. When you build the the kind of standard org that flows up through one person. Um, And I think it's a really interesting idea and case study. A lot of the thing I have found, and maybe this is because the companies I've seen with flat orgs are generally, or or flat companies are bigger, is... It really becomes, as you scale, can you keep the quality of the people that you're bringing in? And it's almost, I just want, I just want to hire 10 Xers, right? Because I know the volume in terms of the upside of their, of what they are is going to deliver more, of course, downstream revenue and retention and expansion opportunities because they're shipping better stuff than having one 10 Xer manage four, three Xers, right? I'd rather have three, two 10 Xers. It's still, the multiple is still better and compounds much faster than actually having bodies. And I think that's, it's an interesting one because I'm sure you've had to build the team slower and maybe that's constrained some of your ability to ship product, but actually your your tenant of patience has allowed you to do both things because like the end result means the company will maintain that quality level that you're talking about, which I think is probably the most important thing any company can do because it's your name and your ability to attract people you have i don't want to say you have one shot but you have one shot right maybe someone comes back and they're like okay i've tried other things or i still need this i'll work through it but you really have one shot to really make them fall in love with you and so you need the best people to be able to build that right so i think these are really great core tenants that you've just mentioned yeah and also remember that we're in the business that our product is then goes to the irs ultimately yeah <laughs> So yeah, yeah, we, we don't have we don't have a choice. Like yeah, accuracy. I'm all, always laughing at myself, saying they build two businesses. One is fertility preservation. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, you yeah. have to get it right. And then the second one is the reports that go to the IRS. Yeah. You have to get it right. So yeah, accuracy is is a huge value, core value of yeah. final loop because. Yeah. It's almost uh, when you build a tech company, you want to release things fast and you yeah. say, okay, I'm going to release it. It wouldn't be perfect, but then I'm going to iterate on that until it's perfect. Yeah. We don't have this privilege, mm. which it's, we wish we could just release yeah. things and say, okay, let's let people use them and we're going to improve them as we go. We have to get things 100% accurate before we launch them. So this is something that is unique. I would say yeah. to what we do, Very. but would require the 10 X's. Uh, yeah. Definitely require the 10 X's. I think it, it's interesting because it all just comes down to your kind of your perspective. You can sit there and say, oh, it's hard. People do this, by the way. This challenge is so hard. I've done it. Let me not sit here and act like I'm some special person that I haven't lived in that world. 
I think the other version is like, what a fun challenge, right? We're just solving this puzzle daily and we literally can't ship until all the pieces line up because if one is out of place, it can, there's like a lot of blowback that can come. So it's a very, I think like you have the right mentality of it is accuracy is a core tenant of every, in everything that we do. And that's, yeah, that's really exciting. People should be using this product. I wish it was for SaaS too. I'm sure that's probably on the roadmap later on. So we're going to get to just three rapid fire questions. They usually never go long or they never go short because as you can see, it's long questions that have long answers generally here. But the first one is, where do you get your best ideas? I think when I sleep, I also remember uh, when I was a student, I went to sleep with unsolved stuff. When mm -hmm. I wake, woke up in the morning, it, it just became clear to me. I can't prove it, but a lot of times I go to sleep with, with some challenges. And since I'm as a founder, you live, you live the challenges, you live the company, you live the yeah. problems. Sometimes I just wake up and I say, okay, I understand the solution. And actually I have another idea. But this is one second. I have, I have one and a half hour commute every day to the office. Yeah. I either hear some podcasts or I just shut everything down and just think, mm -hmm. I don't take any work calls while I'm in the car. So this is, this is a time for me either yeah. to get educated and see what happened in the space and just some other areas that I'm interested in mm -hmm. and also brainstorming with myself the next, the next idea, the next thing that I'm interested for. Oh. Yeah. Silence is such a untapped resource and it's a bit of a challenge I've found for a lot of people given the expansion of work from home, not a bad thing, but it's like finding those times for silence. Yeah. I find my best ideas and my kind of my best deep work is when everything is silent around me. We have music on. It's just complete dead silence and good things are happening. So that's, yeah, that's great. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? It's uh, yeah, I, mu I must say that nothing is, is coming to my mind instinctively. Uh, I think one, one of the, one of the things that uh, always people say, and I really believe in, and I really try to, I really try to adhere to is giving without expecting something in return. I, I'm trying to give as much as I can, whether it was as a teacher, I was a super dedicated teacher. I always gave more than I have to. I think it's the same level of care that I try to give to the employees and encourage mm -hmm. them to give to one another. And I think it's the same level of care that I give to the customers, even though they're not necessarily paying on this specific thing, just dying mm -hmm. back to just giving them, I don't have to give them this insight. I want to give them their insight, not from yeah. a growth perspective, but just, uh, just to help. Yeah. When in certain percentage, you're going to get, you're going to get something back, but it can't be the driver. The driver has to yeah. be a real intrinsic desire to help others. I think this is something that, uh, that uh, I hear a lot. And I can really relate to it because it's something that is personally very important for me. Yeah, I, you and Perry aligned on this. Give without any intention of getting anything just because it's the right thing to do and you want to help people. So I think, by the way, your team bringing those things up trickles completely downstream from what you just said. If that's at the core tenet of you, that's going to trickle down and people who are not in your company, but are associated with it or receiving value. So it's a beautiful thing. I would, I think we sometimes because we get bogged down in how much work it is to serve customers, we forget that they're doing the exact same thing. And so if we help them, they're helping people. And a lot of times the multiple is actually much bigger because we're B2B companies. So we're essentially one-to-one. -one. D2C companies are one-to-many many times. And so we're actually, if we help a company, you help a company stay in business or have some, they're delivering value to say 10, 20, 30,000 people. So the multiple on that action is massive. And so I really think yeah. that's an important one. I hope everyone takes away what Leo just said. It's such an important thing. Last one, 
you get to brag about yourself a little bit here. What's the skill that has served you best in life? I'd say, I'd say hunger. It's not necessarily a skill, but this is my driving force. Hungry, whether it's to create value, whether it's to build something that doesn't exist. I'm like, I'm working nonstop and I'm not tired. I'm working not nonstop and I'm happy. I'm working nonstop and I feel fulfilled. Um, just because I'm driven by a real hunger to create something special. And this is, this basically just keep me up in, in old times. And then I think I'm not the smartest person, but I have a really good memory <laughs> and it served me well. Yeah. So I think the fact that I can remember things helped me a lot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it sounds a bit stupid, but uh, this is, uh, have, we have really smart people in this team and my ability to keep up with them is just, uh, just because I remember things. So yeah. they serve me as well. I understand. Um, I understand. The, yeah. And that's just uh, hard work. I think that's the base yeah. for everything, right? You can, yeah. you cannot build successfully if you are not putting 100% in and put all your efforts and soul into yeah. what you're creating. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Leo, this was incredible. I learned a huge amount. So I'm very excited for all the listeners to get this information from you and be able to tap into your massive brain. Don't sell yourself short. Where should people reach out to you? Obviously, we'll link out, find a loop in the show notes, etc. Where are you most active? If anyone wanted to just talk to you or check out or check out the, the software. Yeah. Finally, is actually a self-serve product. So people can just go on our website, finaloop.com and, uh, and try the product. No credit card required. We have a 40 day free trial and then you get, you get value upfront. Then you can test it and see if, if this is something that can work for you. Other than that, we have live chat all the time. If you need any support, then me personally, I'm, I was, uh, I was on social ever, even when I was super active with my brand, I even didn't know that there's like such a huge Twitter community. If I knew it probably be much better in what I, and, and, and what I did back then. So now I'm trying to, I'm a passive listener for a few years, but now I'm trying to be more active and react more and try to add some value through content and things that I can that they can help to other people, especially in the cash management side, tax mm -hmm. tips, stuff like that. So trying to be more active on social, which is not something okay. so good at. Oh, it's good. I read some stuff already. It's great. We'll link out your Twitter and uh, there's already some great stuff on there. And I'm sure you're going to get more, uh, more active as you go. I've had a great time doing this. So I really appreciate your time and I'm really excited for people to hear this episode.